G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day, I'm Rowan Connolly. I'm Mark Fine. We are here to review a massive round 13 of the AFL season. Just six games this week, but some biggies among them and big ramifications for the top and bottom of the ladder. How are you, Fine? Yeah, I'm well. Um, gee, it was a cold weekend. and uh, we, Winter set in, hasn't it? Yeah, I'll tell you what, we welcomed wintry football probably last week, confirmed it this week, but uh, if you wanted to get a real picture of it, in Williamstown, Sandringham. Oh. That's the game. I watched a quarter of it today. I know this is AFL games, but it's worth, uh, if you can find something on YouTube, you've never seen so many kicks go out of bounds on the full sheets of water everywhere. Port Phillip Bay was blowing up about five metre waves in the background. It was unbelievable footy. Sandringham loved it. They kicked zero nine nine, the lowest VFA, VFL score since 1961. So uh, cavalcade of sport going on. Our Saturday night, we had the Hawthorne-Adelaide game Australia v France, Australia v Ireland, Australia in the rugby, Australia v England in the cricket. I might have missed something. It might have been a NASCAR international battle or something going on. I've just realised something. I'm quoting that stat, the lowest VFL score since 1961. Yeah. I reckon that's wrong. I reckon whoever's come up with that stat, and I heard it on radio, has gone back and looked at VFL scores. Because in 1961, Richmond kicked zero eight eight. But that's when the v, that's the VFL that we now call the AFL. Yeah. And I think they're referring to that as the lowest score since 1961. So Only I think you could have come up with that stat at that time. Well, you know why I'm proud of it? Because it was against St Kilda, last <laughs> team to be goalless in the VFL-AFL. Well, you've got to hang your hat on uh, things Something. Like that. Well, Carlton were nearly goalless that day in 91 when Mark Arciri kicked a goal with about a minute to go. And that's Spot been... on. After Carlton's effort on the weekend, that's been recalled a few times this weekend as well. All right, we're going to get into the games in full now. Three games featured, and the other three games will also give you a comprehensive wrap-up. Let's go with the wraparound. Rightio, let's start with the most recent game, Finey. Probably, oh, not probably, definitely match of the round in latter terms. And a pretty good game too. Uh, I don't know if it was as fantastic as some of the commentators were making out, but a tough battle in difficult conditions at the G. Richmond taking it to 16 consecutive wins now on the MCG. 12-11-83. Defeated Geelong 9-11-65. What did you make of it? Yeah, it's a year, a full calendar year of wins and no losses for Richmond at the G. And again confirmed their ability to go toe-to-toe with a team in what seems to be a, an arm wrestle and then find a whole separate gear that that team cannot match. Now, this is not and shouldn't be a discovery to coaches of opposition sides that are playing there. And that is that if you do engage in what Damien Hardwick described post-match in the press conference as finals-type pressure, 
that you better have something in reserve for the last quarter because Richmond, again, have that ability to really surge in a more attacking manner after going toe-to-toe. And it seems that they, their modus operandi is that they retain a lot of possession in the first two and a half, three quarters, drawing players from the opposition, you know, to really chase, hopefully from Richmond's perspective, pass after pass after pass. And if it doesn't come off, then they're up for the battle for the contested ball. But then they really do play a far more attacking brand of football. Now, Geelong were game in the contest for three quarters, but just could not match them. And actually looked quite slow in that last quarter, didn't they? Yeah, I think the, to me, I looked at the final result and to me it's pretty indicative of where both teams are at. And that is, I think the Cats are a good side, but I, st- I still think there's a bit of a gap there between them and the Tigers. I've got a theory um, about why people underestimated Richmond for so long. And it's, so we, whenever a side turns its form around and becomes successful, we look for very technical explanations as to why. And sure, Richmond changed the way they played a bit. But they have a fantastic ability just to surge the ball forward with sheer pressure and because that's a more simple sort of fundamental of the game, I think we sort of sometimes can't see the forest for the trees. I'd like to dwell on a specific example of that at a critical time in the last quarter, which ended up in the goal to Rioli after winning the holding the ball on Mitch Duncan, more or less sealed the game. That came basically with a surge of not a clean possession. I think Kane Lambert towed the ball along the boundary line Rioli had been involved already. He became involved a second time. Rewalt, really clever little tap. And then Rioli nailed Duncan in the tackle. Now, this is something that the Hawthorne, great Hawthorne sides of the late 80s used to do. And we sort of took it as a given. I think it's a fundamental, uh, about Richmond that, and, and it requires real discipline to, to keep doing it time after time after time. But they've got the taste for it now. And that passage of play to me sort of summed up what they're about. The way they use handball, they're prepared to just handball forward into space because they know that their players will get to it first. You know, it's a great ability. It's not necessarily one which can be quantified in some of the uh, sophisticated sort of statistical uh, analysis you get today. It's just a fundamental skill of the game, and they do it better than anyone. Not dissimilar to a great surging goal that they scored in the first half. Might have been in the first quarter. And that was one involving Dustin Martin, where he received a knock-on double-handed tap, I think, from Caddy. Mm. Uh, a two, a one-two with another player. And then he kicked low and hard into the forward line, and a couple of the smaller forwards there uh, just seized on it. I think Castagna and it might have been... Butler? Butler, yeah. It, it was just pacey football <clears throat> with all Richmond players sort of turned on to the fact that we are now streaming forward and we're moving it forward at all costs. They seem to have, not an innate knowledge, but now a great understanding of when the tap is on and when the tap is off. You mentioned Geelong looking a bit slow. I'm just wondering, is that what Richmond has if they don't? They have a, a Butler, a Rioli, a Castagna. Does Geelong have that? They've got a, they've got a Parfit. I think he's very good. Yep. I think they've missed Cocker too from that sort of explosive oh, yeah. Yeah, miss pressure him. factor. Miss him terribly. Lincoln McCarthy got injured again. He's had dreadful luck in football, but he could be a lively forward. No, they're not, they're not lively up forward, are they? No, and I'm looking at the Cats now. It's a big call this early in the year, but I can't help thinking, again, 
close but no cigar for the Cats this year? Yeah, I just believe that their position is artificially inflated by access to a genuine home ground eight times a year. And it, it, when I say artificially inflated, it's not artificially inflated. Okay, good on them. But because the business end of the finals is not played there, it doesn't help them out in weeks two, three and four of the finals. All right, interesting game. We'll see if that proves a pointer to what's to come. Our second feature game, and again one with huge ramifications for the top of the ladder, was a battle of first against third, I think, going into this round. Sydney playing West Coast, the SCG, and the Swans emerging victorious. 10-12, 72, defeated the Eagles, 7-15-57, ending the Eagles' sequence of 10 wins in a row. Uh, the Swans' sixth win in a row. The Swans just getting the job done again. Bit of a reflection on the modern game, I reckon. How often would you see the top side on the ladder, which has won 10 games in a row, being defeated by a side that goes goalless in two quarters? It's a <laughs> reflection of the modern game. First and last quarter were goalless for the Sydney Swans. It almost went to script, almost exactly as imagined. And it's interesting, West Coast, I think their only losses this year have been against... Correct. Swans, yeah. Round one and round third, right? Yeah. So, look, away from home, unfortunately for West Coast, even though they kept Sydney goalless in the first quarter, they only kicked one goal themselves. And they did have... They they had enough of the play in that first quarter to maybe press a a 12 to 18 point advantage. Well, they had, uh, I think it was 18 inside 50s to eight. So 18 inside 50s to one goal. Yeah, and I know it's not easy converting them at the SCG there. They can be crowded inside 50s. But unfortunately, that simply was gone. There were, in fact, I reckon there were three goals in the first two minutes of the (laughs) second quarter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Two to Sydney, one to West Coast. And as the game had some heat and pace in it, well, West Coast still were absolutely held at bay by a very good Swans defence. Now, I know um, you're a fan of... uh, the man so good they had to name him twice, and we'll leave that for your hots or nots, maybe. But definitely the insertion of Alira Lear into a sturdy backline made it very difficult passage for the West Coast Eagles. And you know, look, um, I was interested. You know, we will see some real excitement down forward with Ryan uh, Kennedy and Darling, but obviously not at the SCG on Friday night. Sydney, they are. You know, some things never change. You know, the world changes at a pace, doesn't it? But there are constants, and at the moment, well, if you call the last two decades a moment, the constant is a very honest, hard-to-beat Sydney that will be in the finals. Sometimes they get into the finals a bit sore and sorry for themselves. Sometimes they get into the finals in fine fettle. But no matter what, they will be a factor. No, and I think they're harder to beat now because I I agree with you it's a constant but there's been a gradual change and for me the most important one for them is the reduction of dependence upon Kennedy Parker Hanabry to wit uh, Ollie Florent bobbed up played a fantastic game Will Haywood a lot quieter in this game but he's had a really good season Jake Lloyd has been pretty good for a few years now and the other one and we mentioned him the other week but George Hewitt as a run-with player, did an amazing job on Luke Shuey. I think Shuey held to 14 disposals. Hewitt ended up with about 26. So right now, in terms of um, lockdown midfielders on key opposition targets, 
he's as good as they get. Probably, you know, the equal of, say, Ben Jacobs at uh, North yep. Melbourne. So that's been really important for them as well. The Eagles, they've got to get through this patch without Jack Darling. And, um, yep. you know, there, there's a potential danger there in that they become too Kennedy conscious. Now, you just mentioned that in passing. I'd like to see them mix it up a little bit more too. Maybe go with a smaller forward sit-up. You know, isolate Kennedy, but have at the one time Rioli, Ryan, etc. at his feet. Just try and mix it up a bit, not be overly predictable with the kicking to the key forward because I think, you know, it was it was tough on Josh Kennedy and, and he was okay. He was a reasonable target for them. But you need a bit more, um, I guess, uh, flexibility there in terms of your forward setup, but not a not a loss that they'll be wringing their hands about. You know, I, I think it was a it was fifteen points. They was missed a couple of chances at the end. They were still in the game. Um, they've just got to get through this period until Darling gets back. Uh, I don't think they've got too much to worry about. The forward line that you're talking about that West Coast does not have in terms of versatility <clears throat> has been developed nicely by Sydney, hasn't it? With Papley and Ronke. And yes. There is some real menace at the drop of the ball. Mm. Haywood, there's certainly no sense that uh, this forward line is Franklin or bust. No. Far from it. And that's a discussion we were having a lot, even at the start of this season. So they've managed to adjust that as well. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our third feature game. And you may not have expected this to be called a feature game, but it was a fantastic finish. And I think in terms of importance of the result. It has equal billing as a feature game. And I speak, of course, of the Gold Coast St Kilda game. Twilight Saturday game, Metricon Stadium. Well, what a thriller it turned out to be. Um, St Kilda, 11-14-80. Got up over the Gold Coast, 11-12-78. Now, Finey, last week I let you uh, bask in the glow of having correctly tipped the margin of... Whose win was it? GWS uh, over Gold Coast. Correct. Yes. Well... Uh, unlike you, I'm not going to bask in the glow of correctly tipping the Saints to win this game by tip. two points. Oh, did you tip my two points? I did tip oh, them well by done. two points. Well um, done. If you go to footyology.com.au, you will see the evidence of that, and I tweeted it for the people that didn't go and see the evidence of that. I would but say that there are more two-point wins than 108-point wins. There were. Okay, okay. We, but then again, St Kilda was the upset. We, so. qu- we quibble over margins. But yeah. look, in... The ramifications of this were absolutely enormous. Um, do you think, hypothetical, had that five-goal margin stayed the case in the last quarter, would Alan Richardson now be facing the chop? At the end of the year, and uh, time will tell exactly whether or not this stay of execution results in a long-term reappointment and um, confirmation. Well, not reappointment, he's contracted, but whether or not they will continue down the Richardson path. But... Uh, look, had Gold Coast added to that lead at three-quarter time, there was plenty of social media tweets going around at three-quarter time and during that third quarter that was uh, from fans and even some people in authority or former players suggesting that this uh, course had, had, had run itself into an inevitable sacking of Alan Richardson, that there was no other way to go. It's amazing what a quarter of football can do. But it was a resounding quarter of football. Well, what they did, dug deep. What did they find in the last quarter that was missing for the first three? Some separation, because Gold Coast can't run out games. St Kilda were absolutely dominating clearances in the first quarter. They, they Against Richmond three weeks ago, St Kilda had 100 more touches. Mm. And they just had a lot more of the ball, but they couldn't get 
clear of uh, Gold Coast. And players like Martin and the returning Sean Lemons, they were playing very good football. Ark Shee was fantastic. Mm. And there was a point in time, there was actually a shot at goal by a Gold Coast player in late in the second quarter. And it was almost a shock, even though it was from 45 metres out, a snap from the boundary on the run, that it didn't go through. Like, everything they touched was turning to gold. Mm. And unfortunately for St Kilda, everything St Kilda was uh, trying to develop was turning to something far less um, valuable. Well, you know, you know I'm, I'm just going to say... Okay, this is about as untechnical as I could be, but I think they just got a few breaks. You know, a couple of shots in the last quarter went in rather than not go in. Yeah, they and did. And I think that that got the momentum up, and yeah. and they came home with, with a bang. And uh, you know, McCartan played really well in the last quarter. Well, great goal! He threaded from the boundary. Great goal! He got up the ground. He showed some leadership and he showed some angst and some drive. Um, Membry's a good target. He won't let you down. He, no, he's, well, he's turned his kicking around now, has He's he? kicked his last 10 in a row. He's a beautiful yeah. kick of goal. So, you know, what happened in that period of time? You know, the, the guy who has made a difference, I think, in the last few weeks is Battle. Really like him. Yeah, look, he um, he was good. Not Don't per- like him? Yeah, yeah, he's a good young kid. He kicked three goals and that's great. But he was far from perfect. And um, he was, thankfully, resilient and kept presenting. That's... Uh, look, three goals in a low-scoring game is important, but again, you know, look, Jack Stephen had a run with player, and I'm trying to think who, because it's somebody who's, who has had a few scalps this year in terms of the run with. Is it um, uh, who's the who's the one who looks like a uh, sort of a leading man from the fifties in in the movies? Number six. Uh, oh, the porno mo. Yeah, um, that's uh, Sean Lemons. No, 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 no. No, um, uh, no, no. Here we go. Gee, this is good TV. Uh, Sexton? No. Not Sexton? No. We'll come back to it. Someone okay. can look it up. Yeah, I'm sure somebody will know. Keep going. Where does this leave Gold Coast? Really in a bad position. Because, they, uh, because that, not only can they get thrashed, they now can lose the... Sexton. Yeah, Sexton. Alex Sexton. I'm sure I said Sexton. Alex Did Sexton? Say Sexton. Okay. Well, who's porno, mate? Is that Sexton? Yeah. Okay. Shave it off, mate. It's not a great look. Anyway, he, he's there. You can come and clean my pool, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll no, go uh, with that. Just on Gold Coast, is that a game that would have been won by a side residing elsewhere? Is that a, 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 is that a symptom of a team that doesn't care enough about its fate? Can I tell you, at three-quarter time, St Kilda were absolutely... You know, they were done because... You're right, things weren't going their way. There was a bit of head dropping and there was a... a, a re- and also, St Kilda were down to... Look, St Kilda had lost Webster early in the game. They lost Rice. They had their two runners out of the back line. And Armitage had run himself ragged and could not play on the ball anymore. St Kilda were done. Mm. But you know what? You get a reputation in football and just like teams who are behind against St Kilda would think we can still win this, yeah. there's no team who would trail Gold Coast by any margin at any time that wouldn't think two or three goals in a row and this mob will go to water. Yeah, well, that's And there's no leadership out there. There no. is Zippo leadership. No, they've got, they got issues. All right, let's move on to the other three games of the round, taking you all the way back to Thursday night, and this run of Thursday night games, you've almost got one round running into the next one, well, after Queen's birthday. 
Port Adelaide uh, did a number on the Western Bulldogs, 2012-132, defeated the Bulldogs 11-9-75. It was all over at quarter time, really, 5-5 to one point. Jeez, uh, the Bulldogs, it's been some demise. But look, let's talk about the, the victors. I, I think they're genuinely starting to get their act together, the power. I think um, their midfield bats deep. I think they're in a pretty rich vein of form. Robbie Gray, absolute superstar, no question about that. Wines has played some of the best footy of his career. Hi to Jane, uh, Ollie's mum, again. I know you're a regular viewer. If I was Ollie's dad, I'd start be having some concerns. <laughs> no, no, all good. Um, and uh, Wingard, Westoff, Dixon. You know, look, I, I think they're a bit of a wild card to really do something this September. Question for a bit of a Port Adelaide fan. You've been kept an eye on them. Yeah. Um, it now seems as though there might be a choice in the forward line, two very different types of players, of going with Jack Watts or Lindsay Thomas. Yeah. Which yeah. one would you go with? Well, uh, look, uh, probably Watts. Uh, there's probably three. There's probably those two in need. Yeah. Well, don't forget uh, also, you know, bigger, but like someone like Todd Marshall, you know, they give some flexibility mm. up there too. Yep. You're not short of options in any part of the ground, really. Um, Watts or Thomas? Because they are two different types. Uh, Watts, he's got, to, he's got to find his form again. But uh, playing at his best, I'd take Watts just. Okay. No disrespect to Thomas. Yep. Um, quick word on the dogs. And, and it just gets worse, doesn't it? Eastern Wood now, long-term hamstring. McRae out for a month about uh, Lucas Webb, Tom Boyd. He's got nothing left. Well, he'll pick a 22 that he might have picked if they were all available anyhow. <laughs> been going on about that all year. Okay. Yeah, well, that's right. Let's move to... Oh, just one thing on them. Ed Richards, who hadn't kicked a goal, kicked his first three in league three. Yeah, it was And great. he's a good player. He's a good hard at yep. it. Him and Gowers, they're unlikely types. They're really good. I my, like both of them. My stepson, Sam, used to play basketball with Ed Richards, and yep. apparently he was a champ even in junior basketball. So They always are, aren't we're they? Well, well done, Ed. Um, let's move to Eddie Ad Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Carlton Fremantle... We'll talk about a game being over early. Uh, the Dockers, in the end, 15-13, to 6 10, 46. I think the more significant score to read out is the halftime score, which was 12-5, 77, leading Carlton, seven behinds. Uh, what can you say? The, the, look, good effort by the Dockers. Let's not harp on about the Blues too much. Let's give the Dockers their due. They'd been beaten in all their games on the road by an average of 56 points. Uh, they really set themselves to fix that up, and, and they did. I thought their leaders were terrific, Neil Fife particularly. I think the kids, or the younger guys, are starting to have a real impact. Uh, Brennan Cox again. Michael Apness has come on quickly. I reckon he's been pretty impressive the last couple of weeks. Uh, Connor Blakely, etc., etc. Langdon. Um, they've got a bit of a future. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, of course, they, their form has been mixed. You know, we suggested quite rightly, given their form, that when Fremantle play away from home, that they are not as focused as they are when they play in front of full crowds at Optus in Perth. And maybe with finals out of the question, that they are sort of sort of playing to a home a home crowd fervour and packed out crowds there that pay the bills. But you know what? Even if they weren't focused they would have smelt blood in the water very early against Carlton and players queue up for such opportunities, don't they? I mean, football can be a tough game. 
You see in the wet uh, at the MCG on Sunday, Richmond Geelong, that's a grind. So if you get an opportunity to have some cheap kicks, cheap goals and cheap thrills, you take them. And Carlton should be ashamed that they gave that opportunity to Freer. Well, the one thing, you know, it's okay to be a rebuilding side, but there's never any excuse for not putting in the requisite effort. Now, they were coming off a bye. They're a side that needs to make every post a winner. They're playing a side that hasn't won on the road and has scarcely looked competitive. How can you not be switched on from the start for that? That, for me, is the real worrying sign about what happened to the Blues on the weekend. All right, one game left. Uh, Let's wrap it up now. Saturday night at the MCG and an emphatic win to the Hawks in Sean Burgoyne's 350th. 12-16-88 defeated the Crows a miserable 4-8-32. 4-8-32. This is after either side with three goals at half-time. But Hawthorne came out and basically won this in a 10-minute burst at the start of the third quarter in which they ended up with 7-2 to no score. Um, and to me, as good as Hawthorne was, it was a sign of there's not much resilience about the Crows. Now, yes, they've been worn down by injuries to key players and pretty hard to withstand that. But the speed with which the bottom fell out of it, I think, was the most disturbing thing. And it looks like it's all just got a bit hard for them. Yeah, and great effort, by the way, for Sean Burgoyne. That, we'll look back at that game. He's halfway point in his career. Is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, he's, isn't he a marvellous player? I love the way that his greatness has sort of crept up on people because he's yeah. just kept tacking another year on. You know, Port had him written off at the end of 2009. I was sure that Hawthorne had signed him for a year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they were too. <laughs> no, he's been remarkable. Yeah, fantastic. Look, James, so the Crows, are the Crows gone? I just want to talk about James Sicily. Okay, yeah, he's a The star. ability to play him at either end of the he's ground with, with um, real impact is, you know, we talk about swing players. He can play forward, he can play back. Uh, players like Hurley at Essendon, and no, you've got to put the runs on the board. This guy this year has shown he can actually be a f- key figure at either end of the ground. He's he's a star, isn't he? Absolutely. And it, it, the Brereton comparison is becoming more apt by the week. Yeah. And hasn't he got a boot on him? Jeez, he's a beautiful kicker. And some attitude. Yeah. So now answer my question: Are Adelaide right gone? Yeah, they, they won't make the finals. Won't make the finals. Yeah, I think it's it's looking more and more. Like that uh, might be the case, and that'll make it, what, two years in a row, the defending Premier... Oh, they didn't win the Premiership, did I? Grand finalist, Yes, I mean, uh, has failed to make the finals. So yeah, well, ma- maybe that's just the way of the modern game. Yeah, when you have a look at the fortunes of, and throw Fremantle in a couple of years before that, yeah. the old theory of runner-up then Premier is yeah. not quite holding water. No, you've got, to, uh, you've got to make hay while the sun shines in terms of the biggest day of the year. That is the wraparound for this week. Time now for the highs, the lows and the whatevers of round 13. In hot or not? All right, we all know how this segment works. Three likes or dislikes out of the round of footy. I'm kicking us off, Finey. All the way back to Friday night. Feels a long time ago now, but uh, Sydney key defender, Aaliyah Aaliyah. I love him. Second game for the year, but I reckon Sydney always looks a better side for his presence. And for a second game of the year, it was a pretty damn decent effort. 18 possessions, 10 marks, 6 intercept marks. He plays with such confidence. And every time I see him, he looks like 
the finished product to me. I'm sure there's whys and wherefores about why he hasn't been getting a game, but they just look a, a much more accomplished and uh, attacking and creative defence when he's part of it. I thought it was a fantastic game, and surely he now has to be part of their best 22. It's one of football's great mysteries. It's the, I don't know, our AFL's equivalent to the Yeti, the abominable snowman. Why has he played such little football? Yes, in 2017, he had a slow start to the year. And then they just overlooked him and they said that there were some issues regarding maybe training or commitment. But you're right, it's only been a couple of games in almost a year and a half of football. But he left the scene hot property and he comes back as hot property. And you know what? They were pretty lucky to retain him. I'm surprised that other clubs didn't come at a rush for a Lira Lear. I agree entirely. They just look a more commanding side with a Lira Lear playing across the half-back line or at centre-half-back. Yeah, I'd be absolutely staggered if he isn't part of that side every week now until the end of the season. And uh, really good win from the Swans. He was a key part of it. You're up. Hot is the four umpires. It's not an experiment. It's now in its second year. So it's. I think it's a development. And I had a close look this weekend. And on a number of occasions, it was decisive in making excellent calls with disposal and uh, interference going for the marking contest. And I think it's here to stay and it was not obtrusive. I've got more ticks than, I've got more pros and cons and I've got less doubts now, having closely watched it this weekend. I think a thumbs up. If not a hot, then definitely I'm warming to four umpires. I'd want to see the stats on free kicks paid. I think free kicks were marginally up both Thursday, Friday night games, so you need to see the whole weekend. But um, I, I agree with you. I thought there were a few infringements that were picked up in the 50s that wouldn't have been picked up otherwise, but I think that's good because I think, I don't know, I think if there's more frees paid that are there, it might actually help, that might actually help clear up the congestion a bit as well. I think that's the idea. And decisive free kicks. And Quite often the umpires were vindicated on the replay with incorrect disposal and uh, holding in a marking contest. And that was certainly because of closer, uh, an ability to watch that piece of play from uh, a better vantage point. Yeah. For umpires. Yes. All right. Uh, a not for me next. It's a fairly obvious one, but uh, can't go past the, uh, to use the popular Fox footy vernacular, the Carlton Football Club. Um, that was a shocker, that first half, really. No getting around it. It was lazy. It was insipid. It was as poor a half of footy as I've seen from any side for a long, long time. And you could tell what was on the cards very early in the piece. The halftime scores, uh, was it 12-5 to 7 behinds, told enough of a tale. But, yeah, OK, they, they steadied a bit in the second half. But I think Carlton supporters now are entitled to say, where exactly are we going? Because compared to last year, I mean, you need to see at least gradual signs of improvement. And I could see that last year, even though they won one fewer game. I'm not seeing it this year. In fact, at the start of the year, you go back to the pre-season, they tried, it looked like they were trying to become a more attacking, free-scoring side, yep. perhaps trading in a bit of that defensive-mindedness. Now, it seems like they're caught betwixt and between. I've looked at the numbers before. They're conceding two goals per game more now than they did for last year, and they're scoring two goals per game less than they did last year. So they've really shot themselves in the foot. And most of all, 
if you're a developing side, you're rebuilding, you're bringing kids in, you need to see at least the guarantee of enthusiasm and commitment. And that was sorely missing against the Dockers. And the proof of the pudding there was some of the goals the Dockers kicked. There was a goal that um, Banfield kicked where he was alone in the goal square. There was a goal that Cox kicked where Apness got the ball over and he had a choice of Cox or uh, I think Ballantyne in the goal square, both unattended. They had acres of room in that forward 50. So that's not something that was going on with Carlton last year. I'm looking at him and thinking, is this actually going anywhere? Yeah, they've, they've really, 18 of their last 20 games have been losses. I'll follow it on with my next hot or not, because it's a not, pardon me, it's a not, and it relates to Carlton in part, <clears throat> but to other football clubs and their chief executives and the AFL, and that is playing at football fans for idiots. Now, post this loss, Brendan Bolton in the press conference was saying that there was cause for encouragement with Carlton's second half. The last thing I'd want to hear as a Carlton fan was what Brendan Bolton said, and that was, we were facing a big 100-plus point loss, and I guess we take something out of the fact that we were able to turn that around and win the second half. I would have replied, my retort as a Carlton fan would have been, really? Because I left at half-time, I'm not putting up with that crap anymore. That would have been the sentiment of many Carlton fans. And then Andrew Mackay today says, there's no need for concern and we're going to get out at the end of the year with salary cap space, go for two marquee players. They've mentioned Andrew Gaff and Jeremy McGovern. Well, yeah, I'd really want to leave West Coast to go and play for Carlton because players are just so hell-bent on adding wooden spoons to their uh, sort of... Uh, catalogue of collectibles. Why play fans for idiots? And I feel as though that's exactly what the Carlton executive and the Carlton coach is doing. It's job preservation and selling the slice of blue sky on a grey cloudy day. You know what? Better to keep your mouth shut than to be seen as simply lying to further your own careers. It's a really interesting moment at halftime, that game where Fox Footy crossed down to the Carlton rooms yep. and there was Cameron Mooney I think Dermot Brereton was the other person there. But they were talking about how quiet it was, and you could see the players moving around the background. And Moon said, and I, I couldn't agree more, he said, yes, this is the way modern footy's going, and, and, but there are times when you just have to bake. And I think that was one of, their time, one of those times. And I think the supporters need to see that there's some genuine angst. And I agree with you. I think the reactions to that loss sort of misjudge the, the mood if you like. Do you reckon that, I mean, Carlton supporters have been through this now for a long time. Is it starting to, at all levels at that club, is the passion, is the absolute fire that should be burning in a proud club like Carlton almost extinguished? Like they're just sort of saying, oh, here we go again, whatever. Well, you could be forgiven for thinking that. And I think that's the real danger. The longer a club is in the doldrums, the more that becomes the entrenched culture. And I, yeah. th I think it's a real worry. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, I don't think anyone really delights in this. Yeah, I mean, there might be this superficial, uh, you know, stuff carton sort of thing, but I, I think football's healthier when the big, traditionally strong clubs are up and, and viable. So I, I genuinely hope they can get out of it. All right, final hot, uh, back to Thursday night, which seems eons ago, but uh, Tom Rockwith. Now, last week I spoke about Jared Pollock of Port Adelaide, and I think he's a really important part of it. This guy was brought into the club to be an important part of it. 
didn't really fire much of a shot early in the season. In fact, he was, after four games, averaging only 12 disposals per game. His last five games, and the turning point was the showdown, he's been averaging 23 disposals and a poor game in the midst of that five. So take out that poor one that's about 26, 27. He was terrific against the Bulldogs, uh, 20, uh, I think 25 or 26. Three goals, though, that was the key. He is one of this army of midfielders who can genuinely go forward and be a goal kicker, and it just gives them more flexibility with the likes of Boak, uh, Ebert, uh, Wines, Wingard, Gray, etc., etc. So I think Porter starting to come good, and I think Rockcliffe can be a key part of that, and the timing is good. So I reckon, uh, I reckon once, he's, once he gets on a roll, he tends to keep going. So my tip is look out for Tom Rockcliffe in the second half of the year. He's going to be a big factor in whatever Port do. Rockcliffe and roll. Look, the, the one thing that he has going for him that that other powerful <coughs> midfield doesn't is a proven record as a run-with player as well. Now... When we head towards the finals and port hopefully into the finals for that club, there may well be need for even mid-game a strategic change to put a fire out. And he's the one player who you can immediately say could fill that role. So yeah. he becomes essential. They've got plenty of options, and I think that's the key to why I reckon they are still a pretty reasonable show. Or right, I'll finish it off. Well, I'll finish off with a hot, and that's because tonight uh, Alan Richardson... Stays on the Gold Coast. They're taking five days off the Saints. Some are going back to visit family. Others are having a holiday up north. And the weather is a lot warmer than it is in Melbourne. And he can actually enjoy it. Because, of course, just before three-quarter time, I'm not saying anything that people don't know. St Kilda trailed by 39 points. But there really was a sense. And I I just got this sense that it's not a case of the players not putting in for the coach or the coach not getting his message across. Just it, it seemed as though there was more foul luck for St Kilda. Two players off, Webster an important player. Um, <clears throat> every every string they tried to pull wasn't producing. And I've got to say, from the Gold Coast perspective, it was very much a case of at last this player showing some form. You know, it, they struck a bit of a vein of form there. So Alan Richardson came down onto the bench, and um, anybody that's had any dealings with Richo knows him as a genuine football type of person and would harbour him no ill feeling so he can enjoy five days off with the heat of the glare that is next coach sacked off him for a little while at least so I don't know if he's feeling hot but he's certainly not feeling the heat of the glare. Yeah no well well done Richard and you know what you can't underestimate the importance of a bit of luck too. Yeah. You know like a few weeks ago that last shot of Gresham's probably would have hit the post or the that yep. floater from McKenzie doesn't wobble through. Yeah, that was that was a month. You know, they they, they converted, and yep. uh, it makes a huge difference. But yeah, lovely guy, Richo. I think most of us have dealt with him, like him a lot. So enjoy the moment. Uh, it's been a, a pretty tough few months, so uh, hopefully he'll get some pleasure out of that and a bit of a suntan. All right, that's it for Hot or Not. Up next, the angry part of the show. Oh, are you angry again? I'm always angry. I'm always <laughs> angry. I need oh. you to get angry now because angry. we're no. introducing the Rant Off!
All right, fine. It's a big time in world sport. The World Cup's on, of course. I do like my soccer. Here we go. Yeah, no, I think it's important that AFL enters the discussion of global sport. Do you? I do. I do. Well, rant about it. Well, it's a bit of a cultural cringe, and I've got a few thoughts about it that I'd like to share with the audience now. Do you care to count me in? Yes, I will. Okay. Three, two, (laughs) whatever the whistle is. I'm pissed off about the lack of respect AFL football's getting from the rest of the world, Finey. Talk about rude. I mean, Sean Burgoyne was playing his 350th game on Saturday night, and what does FIFA do? Schedules a bloody World Cup game at the same time. So what if only 26,000 people could be bothered turning up to the MCG and there was 100 million odd around the globe watching the soccer? We're important too. Typically, on Saturday night, it was the AFL doing the right thing by other sports and getting absolutely nothing back in return. The Hawks and Crows knew the Socceroos had kicked off in Kazan when the first half was going on at the MCG. And that's why they only kicked a total of six goals in two quarters of footy. What was the point of wasting decent football when no one was watching? In a bipartisan approach, Hawthorne waited until halftime in the Australia-France game to get going. Those five goals in 12 minutes in the third quarter coming right when the Socceroos were having a breather at halftime. The Hawks game now done and dusted and no need to check in again. That was very gracious. It was sportsmanlike. But was the favour returned? No way. Where was a tribute to Burgoyne from the Australian and French teams in Kazan? Was there a montage of Burgoyne highlights for the Russian crowds to pay their respects? No. All we got were the national anthems. I don't know about you, Finey, but I'm starting to feel really insecure about the place AFL football has in the pecking order of world sport. I mean, just because we don't have hundreds of millions of people interested in the fortunes of 32 countries and stars as big as Ronaldo and Messi, just because they've got the greatest sports commentator in the world in Martin Tyler, so what? We've got roaming Bryan. Can soccer or cricket produce the perfect blend of in-depth analysis and high-proud comic genius that Fox footy has in bounce? Of course not. And only in AFL football can you get not just one or two, but up to seven massive egos strutting around a TV stage puffing their chests out because they used to know how to kick a bit of inflated weather in a domestic sporting competition. It's just as well we've got round-the-clock coverage of our game, Finey, because if we didn't, there's a whole lot of people in the football world and the media who'd have to take their heads out of their asses for five seconds and realise we're not the most important people in the world. And God knows what that would do to their barely adequate self-esteem. I like that. I like that facetious, ironic... Thumbs up at our myopic view of world sport. Do you think people will uh, pick up on the facetiousness of it, or will I be taken at face value? I think now that we've said the word twice, probably they, <laughs> they will. Yeah, yeah, okay. It wasn't uh, it sort of morphed into something else, there, but uh, yeah, a bit of a cultural cringe when it comes to AFL football. Fair enough too. We're a domestic sport, so what? All right, can you match that? Oh, I'm almost going to carry on from it. Okay, good. Well, three. Two, one, rant. It's the World Cup, and don't we know it when we watch our football? Very tenuous links will be made between Australian rules football and the World Cup until the final whistle blows in, is it Moscow? I don't even know where they're playing the friggin' final, for the World Cup to signal a hiatus of another four years. Until then, we'll have to put up with what we had to put up in the Richmond-Geelong game. The ball bouncing towards the goal. Maguire, the commentator, gets all of a sudden animated because he realises there's a chance for a soccer goal. But it's a World Cup goal! It's a goal on the weekend that Australia played in the World Cup. Of course it was. 
It was just another six-pointer, but not during World Cup time. It was a soccer goal. And all of a sudden, our goal reviews are being compared to the VAR of the World Cup soccer. I was shocked today when a listener, a talkback caller on one radio station said, we shouldn't complain so much about goal line decisions from up above after the injustice done to Australia. Not that there was any injustice done to Australia, but of course, any goal conceded at the World Cup to VAR or video review is now being compared to our own fouled up system. But my favourite is the links made to the ethnicity of Australian rules footballers and comparisons to our competition overseas. A lot of Croatians in the AFL I heard this weekend. Croatia play in the World Cup in a couple of days. And Serbia. Yeah, there's some Serbian footballers as well going around in the AFL. Imagine how good we'd be if we didn't have the AFL, pondered one commentator. I mean, we've got players from ethnic backgrounds such as Croatia and Serbia, Russia, France, etc., etc. And there was an AFL commentator actually pondering how good the world would be if the AFL didn't exist. Well, you wouldn't have a job for starters. That would be an improvement, mate. So for the next three or four weeks, it's all going to be AFL equals World Cup, World Cup equals the AFL. Any comparison, every kick off the ground, every player ending in itch will be compared to something over in Russia. Well, I'm Russian. I'm Russian for this thing to be over. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I think we're both pursuing a, a similar theme there. Actually, oh, just wait for it. Every soccer goal will be a World Cup goal. What, who are the Croatians in the AFL these days? Am I missing someone? Oh, there'll be an itch here or there. Yeah. We, we've, we've lost our itches, haven't we? There used to always be a few itches in WA. Well, Djakovic and Djakovic. Yeah, and Dan, Dan Cox was originally an itch. <laughs> no, he was. Was he? He's Croatian. He was of Croatian extraction. Isn't the coccyx that bone at the bottom of your back? Who was that? Um, yes, coccyx. Who was the... Was there a curly blonde-haired player, Begovic or something like Tony that? Tony Begovic. Yeah. In fact, I threw his name up. It's amazing you mentioned that. I threw his name up on Friday that they, um, the cup for West Coast Sydney games should be named after him because he was part of the Scott Waters departure from West Coast to Sydney at the... Start of 1993. The Waters Begovic Cup they were playing for on Friday night. What a cup that would have been. Uh, I've got a feeling that the Djakovic's, mm -hmm. are they Croatian or Serbian? Oh, you don't want to get that wrong, so let's head Didn't Alan, Did Alan go and um, offer his services <laughs> oh, in, a fighting, <laughs> for, in a fighting sense? It sounds like the sort of thing he would do. Don't forget George Griesic, of course, uh, WA uh, football and sports commentary royalty. As we uh, go off on our usual crazy tangent, uh, I think it's time to wrap this thing up, finally. A big round 13. I uh, hope your side won. hope you enjoyed it. hope you're enjoying the World Cup too, because we certainly are. We're across a lot of sports, and we love them all with equal passion. I think we call it a day there, Finey. Any last thoughts from you? Well, it's a week off for the Saints. Your bombers come back, so... Yeah. See if we can bat 100 next week. Who do the Bombers play? Uh, small matter of West Coast in Perth on Thursday night. Should be a pushover. Yeah, well, you know what? At least you're going to get it over and done with early. Yeah, well, I'll get a few days to get over it before we do our next <laughs> show. On that note, may your football be good football and good night.